Podcast. I'm Allison Little, a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur who has built businesses and brands for the past decade. I'm passionate about helping high achievers launch to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Launch Podcast with Allison Little. Today's episode is called Becoming an Olympic Gold Medalist with Joe Jacoby. Joe is an Olympic Gold Medalist and performance coach who collaborates with leaders and teams by getting them outside the day-to-day rush of life and bringing focus to what truly matters most. His strategies and concepts help clients, including sales and technology executives, doctors, senior level bankers, and military leaders to perform their best without compromising their lives. Oh my gosh, I am so grateful for Joe to take the time and energy to talk with our launch listeners from all over the globe. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us today. It is so great to be here today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, Allison. Oh, awesome. I have too, and I am just so grateful for your time and energy. I know that you're an Olympic gold medalist, so tell us a little bit more about you, about your life personally and professionally. Yeah, so I'll actually start that I think, you know, this is just fun because we get to do this via podcast and to kind of, uh, let's place where you are and where I am for a moment. So where, we'll start with me. Uh, I am talking to you today from my home in the Spanish state of Catalonia. I live in the city of La Seo de which is in northeastern Spain, about two and a half hours north of Barcelona. I live adjacent to the 1992 Olympic whitewater canoeing course. I made a quality of life move here uh, four years ago, uh, this week actually, and yeah, it, it's an adventure. I mean, I, I live in a place where we don't speak English as a first language. It forces me to learn new things every day. Yeah, I'm surrounded by the the, the Pyrenees, the Catalan Pyrenees Mountains, which is just beautiful and provides a lot of contact and connection to nature, which is super important to me. And then I'm going to just sort of step in over to where you are sitting, which is Wausau, Wisconsin, and in central Wisconsin. And I just want to explain to listeners why this is important to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would never believe it, but Wausau, Wisconsin is a major, major stop on on the international whitewater canoeing circuit. And I first started racing in Wausau in the mid-1980s and have a lot of history and experience with it. And it's a beautiful city with a human-made river channel flowing right through the center of town. The athletes always loved going there. And uh, that's part of what makes this conversation kind of connecting La Seuderge in Catalonia with Wausau, Wisconsin, through the sport of whitewater canoeing, through the water, through rivers. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a really special underlying part of our conversation today, Allison. Absolutely. And it, it's so exciting to me to hear your journey and how, you know, it started here in Wausau, essentially, um, where in 1988, you were, you actually won the World Cup in uh, whitewater canoeing with your partner. Yeah, well, so yeah, we actually we won a bronze medal at the World Cup. It was our first ever international medal at the World Cup, and and it was it was in Wausau. It was before just a, a crowd of people from Wausau, and um, the, I think it's, you know to step up on a podium for the very first time in our life. I mean, I was eighteen years old uh, at that moment. 
And I think the, the belief that I could do that, I mean, that, that was like the be- really the, one of the real key steps in the six years that my canoeing partner and I paddled together between starting and, and winning a gold medal in the Olympic Games here in La Ceo d'Orge, uh, just about five years after that bronze medal in, in Wausau. And one thing that I would also say, I mean, I think this is interesting because I know we talk about performance, high performance and improvement, you know, in these kind of conversations. I think it would be interesting to understand something about why the very best whitewater canoeing athletes in the world loved, not just in the United States, but in the world loved competing in Wausau, Wisconsin. And here's the reason. Every time we went to a race and our sport is super popular in Europe, uh, we would stay in hotels and rent apartments or we would camp. But Wausau was the place where we had a homestay program where the athletes would live with families in Wausau. And so like, we literally like became the children of like of families that we stayed with in Wausau and we would eat family meals together and we would do activities and we would go to their schools with the, with the kids and, and, you know, speak to their classes. And it was that connection to the community that always brought the world of whitewater canoeing back to Wausau year after year after year. And I think that's probably, I imagine, even the way I probably tell that story, I'm imagining the people who listen to you speak probably hear a little bit of that in your voice uh, every time you do a podcast. But that is that community spirit of people from Wausau that just, they give everything. They open their door. Here's our house. Here's our family. Here's our routine. You're part of it. You're in. Mm-hmm. And that was just something that was never replicated anywhere else in the world oh, that, that's uh, that, that we, did, we, we did canoeing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so special to hear that um, even all these years later, you're able to, to, re, to have those great memories of coming to this community because I do really, truly love it. And I get that sense of community as well. People are very open and, and kind and welcoming to, um, to anybody. And they want, they want people to come visit us and to, to be a part of our community. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's awesome. Absolutely. I love it. So I'm going to start with this question. So I have a neighbor. She's a freshman in high school. Her name is Kate. And one of her goals is to be an Olympic athlete. And she's already started training. She's an amazing runner. And I believe that she can definitely do it. I got her uh, an Olympic t-shirt the other a couple months ago. And so as soon as I knew that we were going to do our interview, I asked her what she would ask you. And so this is coming from, I think she's 14 or 15 years old. And And so her question is, when you were up on the medal at the medal ceremony, how did it feel? Right, right. So a couple, I'm going to answer that question. And then I want to talk more. You said Kate, is that right? Kate. Well, first of all, Kate, so awesome. I wish you the best of luck on this journey. And and I hope the next, I hope you find the next few minutes of our conversation uh, interesting. So first of all, as far as how did the, the medal um, ceremony feel. I, I I'm, don't mean to be too anticlimactic on, on this one, but the thing is, Kate, like we spent so much time focusing on the process, on the, on, on the systems, on the work that needed to be done, not the outcome. Of course, we're going to imagine someday what it's going to feel like to stand on a podium or to be motivated by those results. 
But I think part of having a goal, like going to the Olympics or even winning a medal in the Olympics, is that it's balanced by letting go of that goal and letting go of those visions so that we're sort of more free to focus on the work, on the practice, on the journey. And I think one of the things that I would suggest, especially in a sport like running, where I think there's sort of two things that come come to mind for you, Kate, is that number one, just start now to tune in to the things you really enjoy about the sport that intrinsically you enjoy, not externally, not the recognition, not the uniform, not the, the identity that goes along with the sport, but like, what do you really love about the sport? I've become a runner at this stage in my life. And just as an example, I don't run with any technology. I'm not advocating that for you, Kate, but uh, the reason I run without technology is that I just want to be as free as I can to um, understand what I enjoy, what I love about every step of running, whether that's listening to myself or listening to nature. And secondly, Kate, the other thing I would say is that um, be patient. Uh, there's no hurry, especially in a sport like running. We can look at the Olympics. We can look at the age of the Olympians. If this is something that you really enjoy and this is part of like a healthy lifestyle there is no reason you cannot reach those goals by going at it slowly. Like there's not a rush to get there. The element of feeling like we got to get there fast or there's a hurry. That's just comparing ourselves to other people there. You may have some talent that sort of moves you in that direction more quickly or more slowly, but if you enjoy it, that's all that matters. If you are, finding that enjoyment in the process. If you are making good friendships within the sport, you feel like it's serving your life beyond running the things that you truly matter most to you. You're, you're not going to stop running. And if you don't stop running, you stay in the game, you will get better. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Kate, I hope you appreciated his wonderful answer. And um, we're so excited for you. We're cheering you on, my friend. All right. So another thing that you really enjoy doing, Joe, is you are a performance mindset coach. And uh, because obviously you've gone there, you've done that. And so now you're able to take your experiences and the lessons that you learned of things to do or to not do and apply those to business and to life. And so first off, just kind of help our listeners understand why is a performance mindset really important? Yeah, it's such a great question. We were just talking about this at the coaching company uh, with whom I work, Valor Performance, you know, today. And I, you know, I, I was kind of writing out my own definition of this, you know, I kind of initially write that, you know, it, you know, I want to try to help people find their unique balance, the unique balance, because everyone's going to be a little bit different of what practice time means, what game time means, and what recovery time means, so that we can put that together to move them closer to the outcomes that really matter most. And so it takes a lot of kind of questioning to sort of arrive at that point. Um, and then I think my, my coaching colleagues at Valor added a couple of other elements. I think when, we, when a good performance coach can incorporate elements of science and, and, and evidence-based research in, into that, into the work with our clients, as well as having uh, our own stories to incorporate in that, it's not, for me, I didn't just sort of arrive at some athletic success and say, oh, I've got something to share. Allison, I, I have spent so many years trying to take a sport like whitewater canoeing, a sport where, you know, kids in the United States do not go 
to their PE teachers in Wausau, Wisconsin and check out canoes and kayaks during recess. With that, it's not like there's this deep intuitive understanding of the sport the way we have about football. And so I have to be really creative in the way I share stories about the river and making the river and aligning the river as a metaphor that people can really relate to. And, and I do think the river, the river of life is, is, is really, I can make that case that it's a really good, powerful metaphor. But um, yeah, I, I think that, that that's part of that performance mindset. I'm always looking for that balance, that people's unique balance between how they can practice, how they can perform in the game, and how they can recover to ultimately move them forward and closer to the outcomes that they desire most. That's awesome. So when you're thinking about this performance mindset, how much of this is like physically doing things and how much of this is just like your mental, like uh, having the right beliefs and and visions of where you want to go? Like how much time and effort do you think if you're going to be talking to somebody, what would you say they need to spend their time and effort doing? I love that mindset is, is getting the attention and the conversation that it is. But, you know, one thing that I would, that I always uh, try to think of is that, you know, even like, let's go back to Kate, you know, our example of a 14 or 15 year old who has like an Olympic dream. It's not that there's a right or wrong mindset. What I tend to sort of feel like there's typically on most of the key issues that we're trying to kind of level out, it's like a scale. It's like a balancing scale. So one of those scales for me is kind of what I call the pursuit of contentment. I mean, contentment can be like enjoyment, happiness, risk, adventure, or maybe a goal. It's like controllables. And then I call pursuit of contentment on the river of uncertainty. A whitewater river has all these uncertain forces that we just can't control. uh, And we don't know what the river is going to do next. And it's not like there's this right place to be on the scale of what we control and what we don't control. The only real problem that, that I see, Allison, is that when we don't take the time or have the awareness to just see where we are on that scale. And so I think less than the right or wrong mindset, I do think that there are mindsets that we can move towards I just don't want people to beat themselves up thinking they're not in the right mindset because if all they do is create the awareness to say, gosh, you know, I'm leaning a lot more towards like uncertainty today than I am towards like controllables. That's like 90% of the game right there. Even if it like feels, you know, even if that feels like a little bit on the darker side than the lighter side, at least you're being honest with it and you're acknowledging it and you're just saying like, okay, that's what it is. It's not like I don't have any of these other wonderful attributes in my life or experiences or positive things or things to be grateful for to work with that still continues to move me forward. So I think it's really kind of an awareness piece, part of its self-awareness, part of its awareness of external circumstances as well, but it's not locking in to right or wrong, but really just sort of taking inventory of where we are. Awesome. So that self-awareness is really key to helping make sure that every day you're checking in with yourself every day, you're just kind of being aware of where you're at on that scale and how you can move forward. And I think that that's a really key part of mindset, right? Is checking in with yourself and, and having that awareness because some days you're going to be doing things are going to be going great and everything goes exactly how you want. And then there's going to be other days where it's not going as exactly how you want. And you're going to have to be able to modify and you're going to be it. And, and even, I mean, just in, in life, right. 
Some days I'll be like, you know what? I'm just not moving forward how I need to. What do I need? I might need to go to recovery right now, right? Like I might need to go and take a break or take a walk. And same with an athlete, right? You know, there might be days where they're like, you know, I'm really tired or or my muscles hurt or whatever it is. And they need to take a little break and then they can go back to practice or or really actually in that competing part. Sure. I I think part of it, I love what you're saying and, and, and speaking about, and I think two things that can really kind of move us into like a better place, like once we sort of acknowledge like where we are in the day, where we are in those reflection points, if we're not in the most like ideal, if we're not, like I woke up this morning, like feeling pretty tired. And because I always give myself that room to just, I you know, to just gauge where am I? So the two things that can really help, number one, it's gratitude, is knowing like what you're grateful for, like knowing that there are some things that you possess right now that are really I'll good. I'll show you my shirt. I'm, I'm wearing a shirt that says wildly grateful. I see Unless it. They, nice cannot, they cannot grateful. see him, wildly that. grateful, right? I, yes, gratitude. I, I love that. And so that's a practice. That's a muscle. And it is worth exercising every day. And then secondly is, and this is much easier said than done, but I'm going to say it, is how to be more kind and gentle with ourselves. So when things aren't going well, like if, if, you, if you were having a, a, a hard day and you're being hard on yourself, but it wasn't you, if it was like your best friend, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be as hard on them as you are on yourself. It's like if you can somehow find a way to like talk to yourself as if you were talking to like your closest friend, um, that will dramatically, um, you know, help, you know, how you handle those hard situations. And my biggest thing is like, just because it's an off day or you're not feeling good does not mean you're capable, not capable of doing good work or, 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 or being there for your partner or having a good performance. If you're a 15 year old runner, it's really just, and I think the more that we practice it, and this is why gauging is so important. I work with athletes, you know, sometimes that have really, really rough days in school. Some of them may be in the military and are training for sometimes they've been like, so canoeing is like a real finesse sport where touch on the water and the paddle is really important. Maybe they've been in shooting exercises all day, you know, we're training for police or for military. It's really hard to have like that sensitivity on the paddle in your fingers if you've been shooting all day. And I'm like, okay, so we've acknowledged it. You know, we know where we are. Let's go and have that practice session. And once we just sort of do that and we acknowledge where we are, they can go and have a good training session so that when competition day comes, if they're not, if things are not going well, they're not feeling well, a good coach can also reference, hey, you remember that day in practice that, you know, you were (laughs) shooting all day and we ended up having a good practice even though you may not like be feeling great about it right now, it doesn't mean you haven't trained your muscle, your body to still go out and, and, and perform well. And so a lot of this really does have to do with, with, with how we practice. And by the way, I, one of the things for a lot of the people that are listening to this in more of a business context, especially in sales, we realize like every day feels like game day for you. It's like there is no time to practice because you're meeting quotas, you're meeting goals, I work with a lot, a lot of sales clients. And I think this is one of the most counterintuitive things to do. Unlike an Olympic athlete that has all this time to practice for like a little bit of game time, a sales professional has like a little bit of time to practice for a lot of game time. Mm -hmm. So it is even more important that you practice the right things when it's time to practice. And so that's going to be a little bit different for everyone, but that's kind of what I talk about within that performance mindset. You know, you have practice time, you have game time and you have recovery time. 
everyone has sort of a unique balance for finding those three things. And that's kind of our, our, our mission right now is to find out what that balance is for ourselves at the, where life meets us today. Awesome. Wonderful. So one of the things that you work on specifically is working on supporting two-person collaborations to achieve excellence, which I think is so interesting. I like that you you do that and it's specifically around your, your canoeing, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, my canoeing, the, um, my, I went to two Olympic games the first time with my canoeing partner, Scott Strasbaugh in the 1992 Olympics. That's where we won a gold medal at the, at the Olympic games and the doubles canoe, where these are two people in a canoe paddling together, working together, navigating the whitewater river rapids together. And, you know, we don't talk while we paddle. There's a lot of nonverbal communication. There's a lot of verbal communication when we're not paddling. And then I went to another Olympic Games at the end of my career with, with Matt Taylor in 2004 in the uh, Athens Olympic Games. And so anyway, uh, these lessons I've taken away from paddling doubles canoe that there are so many people in work situations that have typically one particular uh, relationship with another person that is critically important to their success. And then sometimes that relationship is not an easy relationship. It has an effect on the other kind of work we're doing. And for some people, they take the stress of that relationship home and it affects their home life as well. And so I always tell people that, you know, Scott, my goal, the part, canoe partner with whom I won the Olympics, we were really, really different people. We, you know, Scott was very introverted, very analytical, uh, very focused, very quiet. And I, I, was, I was the opposite of that. And we also had a pretty big age difference, you know, relative to where we were in, in canoeing. So we had to work really hard to figure out not just how to work together, but when was the right time to communicate with each other, defining the roles and responsibilities in the right way. Uh, we needed a sports psychologist, you know, to help us out with that process. So, yeah, I am fascinated with that part of these, you know, two-person relationships. I think it's important for leaders. I, I think it's important for, this could be two co-founders of a company. Mm -hmm. uh, this could be a very progressively minded CEO and chief operating officer. It could be a department that has a sales lead and an operations lead, and these two have to work together. And for me, the more diverse that they are, I think, there is actually better opportunity. It's a little bit harder to get them working together when, they're, when they come from diverse backgrounds. But I do believe in the end, there's more opportunity for them to have success. I really appreciate that you talk about that because um, I don't know if you know this, but my husband and I own a financial planning firm and how you were describing the two different types of personalities. That's exactly when we started the business nine years ago, it was exactly that type of thing. And it took a long time to kind of come together. And when you're thinking about trying to grow a business and then it's your significant other too, on top of it. So you're bringing everything home and it took a long time for us to kind of figure out what we needed to do and, and in order to grow that business. And I think that the fact that you help people coach through that process, whether you're married or not, right? Like probably not well, married, right? I, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to dig into there because I relate all of this to my canoeing background. My canoe partner and I were not brothers. We, we, we were not related to each other, but we raced against people that were twin brothers, that were brothers, that were cousins, that had family connections. And like every partnership, there are positives that we get to work with and there are negatives that we have to work with. Mm -hmm. And we, we can, and good teams, high-performing two-person teams cannot suppress these things. And so there are different things that are unique 
as you know, that can be both positive and negatives that you have to work with when you are married and you're doing the business. And, you know, what I would say even in, in within that, I think it's not just applying our, our strengths, but it's sort of acknowledging the weaknesses, knowing the roles and responsibilities, and when it's time to talk very openly, honestly, and transparently, like we put boundaries around the time to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it it, it can help to have some guidance when you initially uh, do that. And then, you know, ultimately we can figure out how to help people do that on their own to sort of, so it, it doesn't have to be a third party there. Like every time that conversation happens, mm-hmm. but yeah. And now a lot of our clients like that I work with at Valor, uh, you know, we are working with, with large international companies that have, have coaching clients on every continent and so, yeah, there's a lot of interest in the cultural placements of people and where people are, are literally physically where they're situated, how those cultures sort of, how they interact with decisions that come down from leadership, how that might differ in Asia versus Europe versus the, the Americas. And yeah, there's a lot of things to work through and talk through there. And like, it doesn't happen super fast because it's humans and every human relationship is, is different, but that's super interesting in our field of work right now. And there's a lot of interest also in how we can sort of help people with different cultural uh, backgrounds and, and which to me are strengths and, but figure out the right way to apply them, learn about them, transfer them, and also, you know, ultimately help each other grow and get better together. Absolutely. I love that. And so what are the two things you've done in your life to launch the next level? I, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, different kinds of mind, mindsets. I, I think one of the things I think about at this stage of my life is sort of having a growth mindset, you know, is, is wanting to learn. Uh, and I, sometimes I take that to extreme levels. I mean, I'm talking to you from a city in which I, I'm not very good at speaking Catalan, which is the local dialect that we speak here in this in this in this part of the country. Um, but it forces me to learn every day. Like it, it, living in a culture that is outside of where I'm from, I love it. I couldn't imagine doing anything different. But um, yeah, it forces uh, me to learn. Uh, also, I will just sort of say that I think I just cannot underestimate the role of personal health. Personal health is not just physical health. Like it's literally body, mind, and spirit. And it is not a fast journey getting there. Mine has been so slow, so slow, but it's been a good journey. And it is something that I think I I consider to be um, a strength for me. And it really feel, I feel like it it gives me choices and, and optionality in growth and where I want to go. But I should tell you relative to that question, like I'm not like an ambitious person. I work with people that are ambitious. I work with people that have a lot more on their plate than I do. And I think, I think that's kind of part of what makes a lot of the coaching relationships that I'm in interesting. Like I've had coaching clients say, it's like, Joe, you and your Catalan Pyrenees background, it's like white space in my life, you know? And, and I like, I love that, you know, it's like that there's like, it's like our coaching calls are sort of like a pause. My goal is not to help them live, you know, it's just, it's not to help simulate this culture here, but I am a believer in sharing the, the quality of the way people live in Catalonia, especially in the Pyrenees, what I call simple, slower, and less, and how to use that as like a reflective lens 
to look at what you're doing when you're going a million miles an hour or when you want to double sales or when you want to increase productivity or you want to you have to reduce something but increase output. I don't question or judge any of that. I just don't think doing more is necessarily the way to get there. I think we can look at elements when you answer the question of what could I simplify? What could I you know, slow down? What, what could I do less of? I, I, I think are fantastic like subtraction kind of questions that help us uh, figure out uh, what's most important. And then we can have a real conversation about you know, what the key levers are to help move people move forward wherever they want to move forward. So it's, it's all about taking the time and energy to really focus our efforts and to figure out what's most important in our lives. And then you take action toward creating whatever it is that you want. I know it just sounds like it's so obvious, but at the same time, like I could easily ask everyone and says like, well, of course, but I could ask every one of the people that's asking that question and like, okay, well, what is the junk that is getting in the way of that happening. What are the barriers? What is the resistance? What are the obstacles? You know, what's what what's slow, you know, what's kind of killing the momentum from like really doing that in, in a meaningful way. And you got to be willing to experiment. And it's like, I'm not, you don't have to like sell all your belongings and move to a, a simple apartment home in 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 Spain to make this happen. You can run tiny, tiny experiments in your life just to sort of see you know, how this works, why it works, you know, what are the best ways for one person to implement it. But yeah, you got to be willing to sort of do it in a sort of in a very small but consistent kind of way. Not like one day for half, not like one day on Sunday for half the day. But if, you know, if you could just do something for five minutes a day that moved you in into that headspace, into that mindset that kind of flexed that muscle that we're talking about, that reflection, that sense of slowing down, that sense of simplifying. If you just figure out where that muscle is and what it looks like, and you just practice flexing it a little bit every day, you'll learn how to apply it and learn how to lift heavier things with it. Amazing. That is so good. And I have to ask you one last question um, that my brother Reed, he asked me to ask you. Um, so he want, wanted to know about um, what types of people did you surround yourself with to help you work hard or to keep going uh, in order to, to become an Olympic gold medalist? Oh, I love that. And you say your brother's name is Reed? Yeah, Reed. Yeah, Reed, I, I, I love it. What I would say is that, you know, I'll start with my own canoeing partner. I mean, you know, I paddled with someone who was really different than, than I was. So on the, on the downside, that sort of made like finding like easy points of common connection a little bit harder to find. But it sort of set up like an edge of tension that made us better, that made us work harder, that really made us communicate more. Then when you start to extend that out into your training partners or into your team, how do you surround yourself with teammates that like think differently than you have different ideas and how do you open yourself up to the way they see things? Then coaching, not just coaches that feel good and tell you that you're doing well, but coaches that uh, different kinds of coaches that have different points of view that are going to challenge you in different way that have different coaching styles. It's finding some, some different points of view, finding some variety and thinking and putting yourself in a position of looking at your own beliefs and ideas and just almost like asking yourself, could the opposite of what I believe be true? And if it did, like, what did that look like? 
That's what I would say does it, you know? And I don't think that you have to surround yourself with people that are only better than you or have achieved more than you to improve. We need some of that. We also need people that are like on the same similar level of us to sort of compete evenly again. This is a great also for Kate, our, our 14, 15 year old uh, runner in, in Wausau. So you need people that are faster than you. You need people that are on the same level. And you would be really, really wise to find people that are sort of in the beginning end of the spectrum that you can mentor and give back to, pay it forward to, that you can give your advice to uh, and see if it works and, and how it goes. It's a way of like reinforcing your own ideas as you help people. Just because someone does not run as fast as you or hasn't accomplished as much as you does not mean you cannot learn from them. So you sort of need all levels. We can learn from people that are above us, same level of us, and people that are more in the less experienced side of, you know, from where we are right now. So good. That's fantastic. I'm sure Reed and Kate and everybody that's listening gained so much from just that lesson in and of itself. So Joe, I could talk to you all day long. I know that we are ending our podcast episode right now. So how do people get a hold of you? Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. I would say probably the two easiest ways to do that uh, would be LinkedIn, I think where you and I connected. Uh, if you know where Allison is, you'll find me as well. I'm Joe Jacoby on LinkedIn. And uh, also my website is joejacoby.com, J-O-E-J-A-C-O-B-I.com. And you can learn more about me there, including um, I do a lot of writing that's available for free. It's called Sunday Morning Joe. I write about improving performance, overcoming challenge, and aligning with purpose. You can subscribe for free on the website there at joejacoby.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you sharing your ideas, your thoughts, your lessons, and just your life with with our listeners. Um, To all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it with somebody in your life. Better yet, share it with your entire network because there are so many people that could use these lessons and apply them to their life to go to that next level. So thanks again and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Launch Podcast. I'm Allison Little, and I'm so excited that you spent your time with me. Look for future episodes and connect with me on social media or at my website at www.allisonlittle.com. 